get a little something for you? Well, oh, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest of Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. Well, what, do what do you mean, the Commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets. There's a picture of it right here. That's just what the Hebrews thought. Uh, now, what's that supposed to be coming out of there? Lightning. Fire. Power of God or something. The Bible speaks of the ark leveling mountains and laying waste entire regions. An army which carries the ark before it is invincible. About 3,000 years ago, that's what the Israelites were hoping for, invincible. As we look at 1 Samuel this morning, uh, we're going to see that uh, Indiana Jones might have had a couple things right. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was gold-plated, uh, might have looked like that, might not look like that. Uh, didn't lay waste to every mountains, didn't have uh, you know beams of laser beams shooting out it. But again, there's a mystery around that. Uh, so sorry to burst your bubble about Indiana Jones. That's not the authority on the Ark of the Covenant, but uh, even if you wish it was. But the writer in the Newer Testament, the book of Hebrews, writes this about the uh, covenant. He says, the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant, this Ark contained the golden jar of manna, uh, an errant staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were cherubim of of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. And so, uh, you know, as lots of people have tried to figure out what this uh, Ark of the Covenant looked like, uh, here's one depiction that, you know, who knows? Uh, that's kind of nice to kind of think about it a little bit this way. Uh, but I, I, you know, and here's another picture. Wait a minute. Don't look in there. You know what happens if you saw the Ark of the Covenant? If you look inside, no one knows. You're going to melt, so please, I'm sorry about that. You should have all looked away when I opened it up. But anyway, man, you guys are a little slick this morning. But anyway, so the Ark of the Covenant, the Israelites were really hoping for the power of the Ark of the Covenant after a loss to the Philistines, and we're going to be unpacking that. Uh, we've been uh, taking a little hiatus from seeking the king, hope for the future king. And we started this back in uh, November. We did a few weeks on this, and we discovered that really all through the history of human beings, we've always kind of wanted a leader that we could trust, we could seek, we could have a hope in him. And uh, it goes all the way back to uh, beginning days. It goes all the way back to uh, Israel when they eventually chose to have a king. You have Samuel then you have Saul, and then you have King David, and King David is the best there is, and yet he still fails. Uh, he can't be that perfect king. So that is all imagery, that's all foreshadowing. Someday there will be a future king, and that future king is Jesus. And as we move in, it seems a little far away, but we're, we're only a couple months away from Easter, we're going to see that as we're seeking a king, as we're seeking a leader, as we're seeking someone 
to, in a sense, protect our heart, to be the one that we look to for guidance and all that comes together with life, that Jesus actually is that perfect king. And we're going to see that as it unfolds as we move in this direction. But again, as we look to our own leaders, even in today's world, we're always going to find them, even the best of the best, we're going to find them lacking. And that's all by design so that we see that there isn't this mystery uh, person out there that could be our king. It needs to be Jesus Christ himself. So we're looking to that. Uh, we're looking to where we're, we're moving as we unpack this and move closer and closer. And again, that's really the silver lining. Even at the end of Judges, we have this idea. We read, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that creates a problem, a continued problem. And we even face that today as we, even those who are Christ followers, don't make Jesus really the king and the one we follow. So we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. If you want to follow along, we're going to read all 22 verses and then make some uh, thoughts along the way. And uh, you can find that in that rack Bible right in front of you. If you want to follow along, that's page 185. If you don't have a paper copy of the Bible, you can take that rack Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. We also suggest that uh, if you have a smart device, uh, that you download uh, the Bible app, version, and then you can have uh, your Bible with you anywhere you bring your phone, your tablet, your computer, and uh, you can look at any translation you want to, and that's just really great that it's a free gift uh, that is given to us. So, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse uh, 1. So we read, Now the Israelites were out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphak. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. Very unusual. Israel wasn't used to losing in such a dramatic way. So they lose this battle. Uh, it, it just shakes them to the core. Uh, the Philistines, who were kind of always they're at odds with, uh, Goliath was from the Philistines. In the future, we'll see a little bit about him. But just this, this, was, this was really uh, devastating. So they return. When the soldiers return to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? That is a great, great question. Anytime something happens in our life and it feels like we hit a wall, we ought to ask, what does this mean? We ought to think about it. We, we ought to digest, Lord, are you trying to teach me something? Are you trying to get me to think about something? Is this just because I live in a broken world? And sometimes things happen because we live in a broken world. And it's not something going on in your life. It's just broken world scenario. But sometimes it's something going on in your own life. Sometimes I have to stop and go, wait a minute, why is this not going smoothly? Is it, am I not seeking God's guidance? What, what is going on in my world? I, I, need to, I need to ask that question, why has that happened? So we read on, continue on verse 3 or verse 4. Uh, so people sent the men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. 
And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. This was amazing. They had the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, we will win. The crowds go wild. This is fantastic. You know, we lost, and now we are going to just destroy the Philistines. Uh, you know, God is with us. The Ark is here, and things are going to be fantastic. And sometimes you and I bring certain things into our life and we think, wow, if I can just have this thing be a part of my life, if I can just do this action, in a sense, I will all of a sudden be knocking on God's door and he's going to respond the way I want. He's going to do what I want and bam, things are going to be great. So we read on. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh, no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. I mean, this is hundreds of years earlier. The Philistines still knew what had happened when the Israelites left, had the exodus out of Egypt. And they likened, they didn't really understand this God of the Hebrews. They thought it was gods of the Hebrews. If you've done any study on exodus and the plagues, that each one of those plagues represented one of the Egyptian gods. So they're thinking, well, one God against another God, and the Hebrew God won each time. And that's what they're thinking, but that's really not what happened. But they're, they're shaken to the core. They're, they're really worked up. That's going to be it. So what do the Philistines do? They run. No, they don't run. They say this. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they've been to you. Be men and fight. So the Hebrews kind of like, their God is strong. Their God, we're scared, but we're going we're gonna to go for it. We're going we're gonna to fight, and we're going to fight their God, and our gods are stronger. They're thinking all this kind of stuff, and uh, they are ready to go. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated. Every man fled to his tent, fled to his house. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phileas, died. Disaster. Eli is the high priest. His sons are next, number two, number three men, and they get decimated. And worse than that, the, the symbolic presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, is taken by the Philistines. They now have the Israelites' God. They've, in a sense, captured him. Disaster. That same day, a Benjamite, as some feel that this Benjamite, actually Saul, who's a Benjamite who will be King Saul eventually, well, maybe, maybe not, but uh, the same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head, sign of mourning. 
When he arrived, there was Eli sitting at the, on the chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Just, a, just an anguish sigh. Not only had they lost loved ones, not had they lost all these men, but they had actually lost God himself. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. And your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. When he mentioned the Ark of the Covenant, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, and he died, for he was an old man, and he was heavy. He had led Israel for 40 years. But it doesn't end there. It gets worse. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the woman attending her said, don't, don't despair, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the death of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel for all for the ark of God has been captured. So, what is going on here? What do, we, what do we learn from this account? What is it for us? Basically, 3,000 years later. Some of it is the way you and I approach God. Some of it is the way you and I think God should show up in our lives. Obviously, the Philistines get it wrong, but the Israelites get it wrong. They, they look at that Ark of the Covenant more as a luck charm. Uh, good luck is the sermon title, because good luck with that, because it really isn't good luck. And so they look at the Ark of the Covenant. If that is there, then we will win. We need our rabbit's foot, if you will. And, uh, you know, I looked into rabbit's feet, and it's a very bizarre thing how rabbit's foot is supposed to uh, bring luck. First of all, you have to have it on the, um, I was going to say the right left. There aren't right left. Uh, I think it's the, the, the uh, left rear uh, foot has to be that foot. 
You've got to get the rabbit's foot in a cemetery for this thing to work. So there's all this bizarre stuff. But we kind of think that, you know, there's these certain things that we can do and we can, in a sense, get God to wish us good luck or get God's favor. And for the Israelites, they go right from loss to what do we need to do? We need to get the Ark of the Covenant. We bring the Ark of the Covenant in and then we will win. And they were greatly, greatly mistaken. And those of us who have kind of kicked the tires of faith around a little bit may think about some things that might earn God's favor, might be a good luck charm, if you will. Sometimes we think going to church on Sunday, that means that, you know, my week should be better. And I I hope your week is better, but I don't think it, it works like that. Um, You know, some of us, uh, uh, you know, who are Christ followers think if we do certain things, if we, you know, read our Bible and check that box off, that all of a sudden that's a a luck charm. Sometimes we think of, you know, God being like a cheerleader and, you know, he just he's just going to cheer us on and give us good thoughts and positive thinking. And and we can just kind of get through that. Uh, Some of us look at God being like a waiter in a restaurant and at the best um, Restaurants, if you have um, someone waiting on your table, they kind of take care of your needs without you even knowing it. I mean, have you ever been to a restaurant where uh, every time you like finish, finish your glass of water, you look over to get another glass of water and it's already filled again? Well, that happened when it was like a mystery, you know? And we think of God being that kind of waiter. They know your needs. When we went up to going to say it's the wrong castle singer castle uh and uh we stayed up there over a night and uh we had this little dinner inside their dining room kind of thing and if you looked at the top of the ceilings on the knee ceilings the i think they were like 20 some maybe even higher there were these little grates all the around the top and what they showed us that was the servants would like be looking down at the table of the people eating and the minute they saw something missing from your plate or not enough wine or water or whatever they would dispatch someone to fill your plate fill your cup before you even knew it was gone boy wouldn't that be nice and warm dream on okay so we envision god being like that kind of he's just on his game and he's just watching from on high and looking down and and he responds before we even need it or or we think of him like a landlord you know uh you know, the best kind of landlord is one you don't even think about until there's a problem. You give him a call and he's there and then you don't think about him again until there's another problem. And, and, and kind of like that with God. Uh, we think of God these ways and, and we think of him being kind of like this lucky charm kind of a thing or a therapist or, or you know, we, we have some troubles going on. And so we, we hunker down into a spiritual life a little more, whatever that looks like to you and if we rub the genie's bottle enough, whatever that looks like spiritually, then all of a sudden, boom, he grants us a couple wishes, goes back into the bottle, and we go along our way. And that's exactly what the Israelites were doing. And it's, it's pretty sad, and it's very easy to go, oh, you dumb Israelites, bringing out that Ark of the Covenant, thinking that's going to kind of like trick God into doing uh, your bidding. But we can do the same thing. Even when it comes to our finances and our generosity towards a church, I know there are times where I've said, boy, if I, 
I got to make sure I give my tithe because I notice when I give my tithe, my car doesn't break down as much. And all of a sudden, I didn't give a tithe earlier on in my life and uh, or my life married together. And all of a sudden, the car would have some problem. Oh, gee, if I had tithe, that yeah, God honors you, God takes care of you. But again, that that you know, it's He's not our luck charm. He's not tricked by an extra ten dollars in the offering plate, and then you know things happen happier. You buy them off scratches back he scratches your back it that's not not how it works so so when we think of this and we look at the israelites we need to slow down and say where have i bought into this idea of good luck spiritually and uh, i hope this doesn't mean like next week you're going to say dave didn't say we need to go to church so next weekend's here because you know you're here because you need to get good luck from god but anyway good luck good luck with stressing religion over relationship with God. Good luck with that. See how that works for you. On one level, even if good things happen in your life, even if you win the battle, but you don't have that relationship with God, if he's not filling your heart, it's, it's kind of short-lived. Some of us have had lots of good things happen in our life, and if somebody looks at our life and they say, wow, I wish I had your life, but you've had that emptiness in your heart and known that the external is good to have good things, but when it's just the external, the empty heart trumps the external. You can have great things happening on the outside. Everything can be fine, you know, just moving along and everything like that, but when your heart is empty, it's really not that great. Then you know some folks where externally they've had some heavy, heavy loads to carry. But internally, their heart is at peace. It's full. And they somehow are able to have that joy we sang. They have that joy, that strength in the Lord. And it carries them, even though the outside is just so difficult. Think of uh, folks in Turkey and Syria. Think of folks in Ukraine. And those are the only places that we see in the headlines. There are other places where it might not be the same amount of population, but they are just meagerly making it. And then I hear some of these stories, and I don't think they're just stories about people that have their heart still filled with Jesus, and they're able to live in those circumstances, they wouldn't say it's easy. They wouldn't say, ha ha, this is great. They, they, they would say, but I'm able to navigate it. And then we see folks that have everything at their fingertips. And it seems like life is just empty. Good luck with stressing anything, but especially religion over relationship with God. Some of you may be giving church a, a second look because you grew up in an environment where it was the religious, ritualistic things that you were supposed to do, and that was supposed to bring you joy to your life. And all of a sudden, you realize jumping through all these hoops really didn't do anything, and it became empty. And you're going to see as we get to it, this doesn't mean you don't follow Christ. It doesn't mean you don't obey him. It doesn't mean you don't uh, do the things you ought to be. But it comes out of a heart that's being filled by his presence, not off checking things off the list. So Israel loses this battle and they think something's wrong. Oh, I know what's wrong. We need to get our luck charm. 
what thing in your life is going wrong and you're thinking, oh, I need to hunker down on this luck job. What is that? Because the way you treat other people all of a sudden go, well, I, I know, I, I, you know, I, we were talking about this a few weeks ago as, uh, as um, spouses. You know, there's this idea that if we're not, we're not, you know, honoring our spouses in the sense of, you know, being kind and being the way we should be, that it affects our relationship with God. And so we just kind of do that just as an action without a heart connection. And, and it just, it just, it, that's, it's not that luck charm. Some of us, I remember when I first got turned on to spending time with God, and I, you know, especially in, when I was in middle school and trying to do my devotions, I had to make my bed. I lived in one of those houses that if you didn't make your bed, you were in trouble. So I'd make my bed, do my devotions, and then it was breakfast. And it was just one more thing on the list. As quick as I could, I'd read through the passage assignment for the day, check it off, and went on my way. I didn't even really think about what I was reading, probably also the way I did my schoolwork, but, but I you know, wasn't really thinking about it, and it was just checking it off the list because I knew as a good Christian I needed to read my Bible at least a few times a week, and if I didn't, bad things would happen in my life, so it was a luck charm. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Hannah, you know, when she's talking about who God is, and we sang some words about holy is your name. Um, your name is to be esteemed. It's, it's separated to itself. You function beyond regular world. You're, you're holy. You're awesome. Uh, we try to glorify you. We, we see, we recognize your work in our midst. And Hannah's realizing this. It's interesting, you know, in, verse, in chapters 4 through 6 into 7, uh, we don't really see Samuel. But uh, this is earlier, if you remember, Hannah said, My heart is happy in the Lord. I feel very strong in my God. I laugh at my enemy. I'm very happy in my victory. There is no holy God like the Lord. There is no God but you. There is no rock like our God. Don't continue bragging. Don't speak proud words because the Lord God knows everything. He leads and he judges people. And so the idea here is that uh, you don't stress religion over relationship with God, but you also realize that uh, to honor God, to celebrate God's love, you express it with the way you behave. Because he does take a look at our life. Not to slap us down, but he really wants to give us, uh, in a sense, of that a boy, of that a girl. He wants to say, great job. So we don't do this to kind of trick him into manipulating him, get him to do what we want him to do. We, we realize that it's all about relationship with him. It's not just about checking the, the religious boxes. You know, we, we can do this always. I, I don't know about you, but every time I end my conversation with Cindy and she ends her conversation with me, we say, love you. And it's just an automatic thing. We're doing it for a lot of years now. And so it just happens. And sometimes when I'm not thinking, I've done this to a couple uh, friends of mine. One time I did it to Larry Bell. He was a you know, guy like 30 years older than me. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, see you later, Dave. I go, yeah, I love you. Love you. Love, love, you know, he's like, I love you too, Dave. You know, it's just automatic. I was checking the love you box, you know, because that's what you do when you sign off on the phone. I'm going, wait a minute. That's uh, stressing 
not religion, but uh, stressing this is what you do, and my heart wasn't really super engaged. So now, good thing Timmy got his kids on, so she can hear me, so when I say I love you on the way home to church today on the phone, she won't say, oh, you're just checking the box off. But anyway, so, but this idea of, you know, good luck with stressing religion over relationship. You know, ritual can become a form of superstition. Ritual can become a form of superstition. That's not throw everything out, but when it starts to lose its meaning and why you're doing it, it's, it's, it can be superstitious. I, I know there's been times where, you know, I'm praying, and, you know, I grew up in a day and age where you take your hat off when you pray, but I really don't think that's a super big deal with God. I, I usually, now I take my hat off so I make sure someone else doesn't have heartburn that I'm not respecting God. But it's really not that I'm not respecting God. It's just, oh, yeah, I better take my hat off. Because sometimes the reason I wear a hat is my hair is all gene. And so I want to kind of cover up. You guys probably don't have that problem. And so, yeah, you know, so I'm like, oh, no. And then I'm like, did God just hear that prayer? Because I had my hat on. No, I think he did. I think he, you're, you're being superstitious. And again, I'm not saying be disrespectful to God. I'm not saying don't stand up and pray in the National Anthem play, uh, Pledge of Allegiance, all those kinds of things. But we go too far with this stuff. It's almost a superstitious feeling. David writes this. He says, going through the motions doesn't please you, God. A flawless performance is nothing to you. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. You see, the Israelites asked the wrong question. Well, they asked the right question. They had the wrong answer. Why did we lose the first battle? And they thought, because we didn't have the luck charm. That was the wrong answer. The, the answer was, because you're treating me as a luck charm. You think if you parade out the Ark of the Covenant, if you kind of still do your own thing, if you remember the Eli's two sons, they were off the rails. Uh, they were, you know, sleeping with women who were serving in the in the um, tabernacle. They were taking the uh, the meat that they were supposed to burn up totally, the fat. They were taking it for themselves and eating it. They were doing all these kinds of things, and really. Nobody, you know, somebody would maybe say something, but it was just off the rails. The people were not really following God's lead, but they did bring the ark out. So I guess they should be okay. No, God gets it. God's like, you know, I see the ark coming out, but I see where your heart is. I see where you're really obeying me in the privacy of your own world, and it's not there. Ritual will not overshadow what's really going on in your life. You're not going to fake me out. I can't remember when I was recently, you know, telling this story. I can't remember if it was Sunday morning or if it was uh, in small group or someplace like that, so sorry, but uh, I've told you this before. I'm, I remember when, you know, Saturday mornings and I was supposed to vacuum my room, and what did I do when I was supposed to vacuum my room? It was in the basement. I would turn on the vacuum cleaner and just let it run without doing it. 
And I would just kind of sit and watch it. And I go, go upstairs. They're hearing, oh, he's vacuuming your bedroom. I wasn't vacuuming my bedroom. Now, they didn't know that. They know it now. I'm a little bit drunk when I get home. But uh, they, they didn't know that. But God knows those things. God knows when you're running the vacuum and you're not really vacuuming. He knows it. You may think he doesn't, but he knows it. And that's, that's not so that you go, oh, man, I really got to watch it because God's going to slap me down because he's going to know what I'm really doing. No, it's because it's, it's messing your relationship up with him. If you want a full heart, if you want to be in sync with him relationally, you want to keep short accounts with him. You don't want to be kind of like going to pray and you're praying and you're going, I'm checking off the list. I, you know, I pray for every meal. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And he, he knows that you're doing it, but he also knows what you were doing three hours earlier. He knows how far your heart is from him. He's not faked out by that, yet we still follow with, ooh, I better do that. And it's almost like a rabbit's foot. So, you know, this idea of, again, um, superstition, uh, thinking that, you know, good luck with, with faking God out. You know, we can do this when we depend on human re- wisdom rather than God's word. And that's really what we're, we're talking about with this whole thing with the Ark of the Covenant. They, they were just kind of thinking, oh, man, God didn't like us. God, you know, da, 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 let's bring the Ark out. And, and you, know, you know, that's our human wisdom. The fact that they didn't stop and ask, is there something spiritually misaligned in the life of us as individuals? We know that the number two and number three guy are off, and we know their daddy, Eli, doesn't pay attention to it, so there's a problem there, and we know where we are. Maybe we should start looking at our hearts. Maybe that's why we lost the first battle, not because we didn't parade the Ark of the Covenant out and have a good pep rally about it and go rah, 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 and freak out the enemies where they're all going, oh, oh, what's going on? And, and, and it just does nothing. They lose. So there's this depending on human wisdom. There's also this idea, and we kind of touched on this, trying to manipulate God for your own purposes. And the longer you live in church world, the better, the better I am at this. At least I think I'm better at it. I can, I think I can, you know, play these games. I can you know, do this stuff to get him to do this because I want this or whatever. I don't want this. And, and it, it just, it's just not going to work. And the Israelites were going to have to lose 30,000. They were going to have to lose the high priest's two sons and the high priest to get them to start thinking maybe manipulating God doesn't work. Maybe it doesn't work. And going along with this, they're focusing uh, on religious experiences rather than God. You know, and what's hard for us is sometimes we have a meaningful spiritual moment with God. And that's powerful. But we can't rely on those things Two, three, five, six years. It's like if you had one great date with your wife or your spouse and you figured because in 
QBQ, you had this great date that's covered you for the last X amount of decades. Doesn't work that way. You can't go, hey, remember that time we went out to dinner and we, it was great and da 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 da. We went away and, and your spouse, your Aunt Cindy, would do this, right? Oh, that's wonderful. And I'll go, good. So we don't have to go out again. It's been 25 years. Maybe, you know, it doesn't work that way, even though that was fantastic. Focusing on religious experiences rather than God. Knowing that we want him with us. That's the whole point. The Ark of the Covenant is the Ark of the Agreement, the Ark of the, the closeness, the, the, the Ark of that we're in relationship with each other. That, that's the big deal. It's really the covenant and what it symbolizes. It's not, not the, the box. It's not bring out the box. Bring out the box. Then we're all set. No, it's not about bringing out the ark. And then when it's all a set in motion, we read back in Deuteronomy, when you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the enemy. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you're going into battle against your enemy. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. And I can't prove this, but what if Eli's sons actually marching out with the ark read that verse and everybody goes, Yahoo! That was, that was, 400 years, give or take, in the past as well. I can't live on yesterday's closeness with God forever. You need to have new experiences. You need to build into your relationship or then you're starting, then I'm starting to be uh, looking for good luck by doing this kind of thing. And again, he doesn't and can't say, say to mess. This is, this is really important, the next one, and uh, this is probably where a lot of us uh, fail, is expecting God's blessing without repentance. Expecting God's blessing without repentance. What's repentance? Repentance is looking at circumstances, looking at actions, looking at heart attitudes, and saying, God... I want to agree with you, so I'm going to change course. I'm going to repent. I'm not going to think that way about that item, so now I'm going to interact with it a different way. Repentance can take time, but you're trying to move in that direction. The Israelites never asked, what is wrong with us? What do we need to repent of? If you go back to Older Testament, we go story to story to story and see that I can't find one place where the people repent and God doesn't say, sorry, <laughs> you know, no, no, doesn't, no, no, no. Yeah, every time they really humble themselves, call upon the Lord, really mean repentance, not doing some, you know, good luck, charm kind of repentance, but really repenting that God doesn't respond and help them out. He goes, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see you through this. This doesn't mean the consequences go away, but he is with you to help you in it and through it. Israel should have said, wow, we lost all these people. This means something. What is wrong in our hearts? What is wrong in our spirits? 
So, Christian today in 2023, when you're looking at life and trying to, you know, think about what needs to happen, just, just realize that it might be repentance. We need to be a people of repentance. I can't tell you how often you need to repent, but if you go months without repenting of anything, you're missing something because you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. need to have any satisfaction in my life because I need to be changing. I need to be growing. But then I want God's blessing. I want to love the, the, the rabbit's foot and have him take care of me. Good luck with genuinely following a fast false spirituality. It, it doesn't work. Um, you know, we could take time and we'll look at these look at these verses that basically say, you know, it's Christ and Christ alone. And you may say, wow, that's kind of hard. Aren't there other ways? I wish there were, but there are not. If there were other ways, as we'll talk about this at Easter, then when Jesus prayed, is there another way for me? Do I have to die on the cross? You know, take this cup from me. If there was another way, God would have said yes. But if there, or, or if Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross, or, or God the Father is a horrible father because he had a plan B and he didn't let Jesus in on it and he made him die on the cross when there was another way. But there isn't. So, so this idea that just because you genuinely believe something, the Philistines, and the Philistines won this battle and, if we get into the next two chapters, we're going to see they take the, the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in with their temple, with their gods, and they keep finding their gods knocked over and what's going on here. But they, they think they've won, and, and they haven't won. They're going to see this creates a whole new problem for them. So genuinely following something that's, that's not Christ, uh, not recognizing the one and true God through Jesus, it's, it's just, just not going to get you there. And you can genuinely believe there's another way. You can genuinely believe that. In Hebrews, and now in these last days, God has spoken to us again through his son. He's made the whole world through his son, and he has chosen his son to have all things. The son shows the glory of the fa or God. He is perfect copy of God's nature. The son made people clean from their sins. Jesus himself says, I am the road the tr and also the truth, also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. So this idea of sincerely holding on to misinformation, it just, it just doesn't work. Also, this idea of believing you can fight against God. The Philistines think that they can, oh, all these gods, they think they can fight against that. It's just not the Philistines that believe that. Sometimes you and I, as Christ followers, people who have said yes to Jesus can buy into this idea that we can fight against God. That we can push back. That we know his ways and we just are going to be stumbered and we're going to do it our way and we just keep banging our head against the wall. And all we get is a headache. It doesn't, doesn't work. So, as we think about what the Israelites do, the lesson they give to us that's 3,000 years old is basically, we can say, is 
good luck with luck. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Uh, luck will not eclipse compromise. It, ju it just doesn't work. It, it didn't for Eli and his family. It just doesn't work. It doesn't compromise uh, when we are not disciplined with our family life. We've talked about that in the last three or four weeks. I don't need to repeat that, but when we're not you know, focused on that, uh, we can't just kind of luck through it. Oh, you know, good luck with that. Maybe if, you know, we just won't have the consequences. They will come our way. We can't good luck our way through personal discipline. I'm sorry. You can't just play with fire and expect you're not going to get burned. It, it's going to happen. You, 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 it may seem it may seem like you've won. The Philistines thought they had won 30,000 Israelites dead. They're like, yeah, but, but you, you just can't play with that. You see Eli with that. Eli doesn't pay attention to his sons. He doesn't get on them. He mentions it in passing, but doesn't really get after them. And he's just not personally disciplined. He's not personally disciplined with his own life. Um, it's interesting, you know, when they would not burn off the fat of the meat in the sacrifice, the word for that fat actually is the glory, like the glory of the meat. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like a little fat in my meat, you know, it's just mm, salt and fat and little meat. No, I'm just kidding. And I just, I love that melts in your mouth, all that kind of stuff. And someone's like, well, you shouldn't be eating that. I'm like, I love it, you know. And, uh, but anyway, uh, they, were, they were eating that, and they weren't supposed to do that. And it's very ironic that Eli was super fat. That's why he fell over and broke his neck. That's why he was heavy. So all those years of eating that fat from his sons went to his waist. i got to be careful with that. Just kept building up, building up, building up, building up, building up, building up. And then on the day, 98, he falls over. All that around his waist is a part of his demise. Same thing happens to you and I, Christ follower. We ignore personal discipline in all kinds of areas. We think good luck. We're not paying the price. We're not paying the consequence. And it keeps building up. It's hardening of the arteries, if you will. It's a hardening of the heart. And eventually, the consequences come home and show up. Tied along with that is spiritual discipline. As Christ followers, are we really disciplined with our, are we intentional with our walk with God? Do we, do we just kind of, we just haphazard, we bounce from thing to thing. Are we intentional? Are we trying to be exposed to God and grow in our relationship? So compromise, it, it, it does not cover compromise. And, and I kind of already said this in another way, but it also doesn't con conceal our consequences. Uh, the consequences will be there. We'll, we'll experience those consequences. Uh, for Israel, it was national disgrace. God let it go and go and go and go. And not to get political, but I could say, might be some parallels for us in the way we live in our country. We let it go, let it go, let it go, and eventually there will be consequences. And when I think about that, I hold not 
those people out there responsible as those we need Sometimes we like pointing it at our people, but our fingers are pointing back. We kind of get what we ask for, what we allow in our lives, a lot of it. Sometimes not, but a lot of the time. So when you think about that, we can mull that over. Uh, family tragedy. Uh, you know, it's just th- this, just in that one day, tragedy after tragedy. They could only conceal the consequences so long and it's amazing uh, the one uh, daughter-in-law knows it god's glory has departed she sees it symbolically with the ark but she knows that it has departed remember this daughter-in-law knew most likely that her husband was stepping out on her all the time she had to live with that walking through the village oh there she goes now you know she had to live with that would she probably marry Joel and marry a priest? That was going to be great. La, la, la. But no, it wasn't that. It's family tragedy. Go along with that spiritual disaster. Nation, individuals, you can, you can, good luck with that. Eventually it comes home to roost. Obviously there's personal failure. There's legacy compromise. Eli high priest for 40 years and it all goes away by thinking he blew it even the first 10 first 20 first 30 wherever he got off the rails that compromise is the legacy of his family and so you just good luck with those kinds of things months ago we looked at the churches in revelation and there was one church we read about in revelation 2 4 through 5 says but i have this against you you have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning think about how far you've fallen repent and do the works of love side word with an engaged heart you did it first and i will come to you or I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. Israel got caught up with using God as a life luck charm. Good luck with that. You and I can do the same way. Really, good luck is actually bad luck. It tempts us to think we can live on borrowed time. Or maybe it's just dumb luck. Let's pray. Father, we don't like this story, or at least I don't like this story too much. I don't like uh, thinking about how the Israelites, well, I like thinking about how they used you as a luck charm, but I don't like thinking that there's ways that I, we can use you as a luck charm. So, Lord, help us to honestly take a look at our lives. Father, we ask that we would be a people of repentance. We would change the direction of our lives as we follow you. If there's someone here who has never said yes to you, has never repented of their sins, their disobedience, could this be the day they start walking with you, the day of their salvation? And for those of us who have, 
who we be a people of repentance. We ask these things in Jesus' name.